0: Right. Welcome back to From Arbitration. And today we're going to be dealing with past practice. It's going to be a long episode. It's not going to be as boring as my last two, I promise you. But, but it's going to be a long one. But Let me start this off by saying that I get uh, get a lot of messages through Facebook and email, text, talking about the podcast, encouragement. we Questions, and go over a lot of things with people, and I'll talk about something here in a second about that, but I got this message one day uh, from a young lady, and she's like, hey, uh, I've come across your podcast, I'm a new steward, I really enjoy it, it's helped me a lot. I said, well, I appreciate that, appreciate you reaching out to me. She's like, I noticed that you have a Facebook page from 8 Arbitration. I said, well, yeah, I sure do. She's like, okay, well, it sucks. And I said, I appreciate that. And she's like, I want to take it over. I want to take it over, and I want to make it better, bigger, uh, reach more people. And I said, well, I absolutely have at it. Because I've told you all before, I am terrible at anything computer. And I just made a Facebook page and just put some pictures up of me and my buddies but I don't know what to do with that thing. It's been sitting there just languishing forever. So this young lady, she's like, I want to take it over because it's terrible. And I said, Yes, ma'am, have at it. So let me say thank you to Miss Lindsay Brze uh, for taking that over, Lindsay Brze. Now when I saw the name, I thought it was Breezy. I called her Lindsay Breezy, and and have come uh, since then. I have. Decided to call her Badass Breezy because she has tackled this thing and uh, has made it much better, much bigger, and reached a lot of people through my From Aid Arbitration Facebook page. So, Miss Breezy, Miss Badass Breezy, thank you. Thank you for reaching out, telling me that that sucked and that you wanted to help with that. So, So, those of you out there that listen, I told you uh, Mr. Jeremy McCall made a, a web page for me uh, for the podcast from 8 From 8 you'll go visit that now. But now Ms. Miss, Miss Breezy has made me a Facebook page or has enhanced my Facebook page. So get on there. If you have Facebook, get on there. You can ask questions. You can make comments, whatever you want to do. But uh, I wanted to, to tell her thank you. Thank you, thank you for reaching out, wanting to help. You didn't offend me by telling me that my page sucked. Uh, so thank you, Ms Lindsay, for doing that. So again, those of y'all who have Facebook, if you want to reach out through Facebook, it's from aidarbitration.com and don't forget the webpage from aidarbitration.com. Mr. Jeremy McCall did that for me. He's uh, upload more episodes putting transcripts in. Eventually we're going to start putting templates in for you. I get a lot of emails and Facebook messages about templates and I have no problem sending y'all those. Y'all don't bother me. It doesn't bother me at all. I promise you when you ask for a template. Uh, if I've got one, I'm going to send it to you. Now I don't have any. Now I bugged the hell out of JB because JB is the one who has all the templates and so I know that he's like, dadgum, man, would you quit bothering me with this? But anytime somebody wants a template, I message him and say, hey, send me that template on the article later. Send me that template on this or that, and he'll do that for me. So he knows I appreciate him for that. But it's all about education. It's all about helping out. That's what this is all about. And so whatever you need, I'm going to try to get it to you. And so... Again, thank you Miss Lindsay, Breezy, for the uh, for taking over Facebook page. Hopefully that will be beneficial to y'all. Thank you again to Mr. McCall for making the, the webpage for Mate Arbitration. Go to the uh Mate Arbitration it has the episodes on there, has sites on there, and soon I'll start putting templates on there for you. But just wanted to give a shout out to Miss Lindsay for that. I really appreciate that. I had a gentleman reach out also this week And uh, he offered uh, his hand, and he said, you know, however I can help, I'd like to help. And he's a member, looks like a very large branch. And uh, he said this, he said, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power, and I want to help any way that I can. There are only three words more dynamic than knowledge is power, and that is I love you. I love you is the most powerful three words ever. But knowledge is power is probably second. Knowledge is power, especially in a union. Knowledge is power. That's what this whole podcast is about. Knowledge is power. I want everybody to be knowledgeable and informed on the contract and how we build a case file, how we put our contentions together, how we present our our case file to an arbitrator. That's what this is about. It's knowledge is power. So to you, sir, who said that, that's very, very profound, knowledge is power. So that's what this is about. Also, uh, I've had a couple of people reach out with concerns about the podcast. I had one this morning, matter of fact, and they're saying, hey, you know, as, as good as the podcast is, you know, are we concerned about management listening to it and kind of getting our secrets? I've had that a lot, matter of fact. Uh, When I started this, the the people who asked me to do it, and I'm not going to tell their level or anything like that, we talked about those things. Uh, Talked about management listening. The, The benefit of educating our people, the benefit of getting our case files better, of educating that first day shop steward all the way up through the advocate, the benefit of that. Outweighs anything that management can do as far as listening to this podcast. That's how I feel. If that's the case, then there can never be a podcast. There can never be a podcast on union, case files, case file building. So I'm not going to be scared of that and I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing for fear of that. If management's listening, they know how I feel about them. And uh, so... Hey, if we're right, we're right. If we're wrong, we're wrong. And we're going to put the case file together to show that we're right. Okay. So uh, if anybody else has any concerns about that, I have weighed that. I have thought about that. It just, the benefit far outweighs anything that management can do as far as listening to this podcast. So yes, have thought about that, talked about that. And so I'm just going to keep doing what I do. All right. Uh, I told you before, I didn't ask for permission. <laughs> I've just started doing it. And so hopefully it's beneficial. I think it is because of the, the number of people that are listening and the number of comments that I get uh, of appreciation. So I, I know that it's helping. With that being said, I'm going to start trying to, I think I talked about this a little bit in past episodes. If I get uh, a letter of charges... Or something to that effect. I may read that to y'all in an episode and we're going to break that down what I want is when you get a charge a letter notice of charges I want you to be able to beat that thing within a matter of a couple of minutes I want you to be able to beat a charge within five minutes of reading that thing that's what I want for everybody anybody in the country that's listening to this new shop stewards especially what i want is when you get a charge you to be able to beat that charge within a few minutes of looking at it now i know that's going to be difficult for some because if you have a station that don't get many charges it doesn't get a lot of discipline you're not going to see a lot of it and so it's it's hard when you're not dealing with things a lot uh, to master that so what i may start doing is if i get a charge However, somebody sends me one. I I get a lot of people that send them to me saying, hey, help me with this. And we'll go over it and and we'll dissect that thing. Uh, So what I may do is just redact those. I told, uh, or Lindsay asked if she could put those up on a Friday if I'm going to do it. Put them up on a Friday in my Facebook page. Y'all can look at them in advance and then Sunday we'll talk about them. May do that. But the least I'm going to do is read it in one of my episodes, read it to you, and then we're going to go back and beat that thing. Okay, same day, just a minute later. I'm going to read you the charge. When you're listening to it, in your head, be thinking, okay, this is what I probably need. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't tell me anything. And that way, you'll be experts at the charge. Uh, When you get that charge, you look over it, within a minute or two you can beat that charge if that makes sense so I'm gonna do that today I'm gonna have a charge we're gonna read it you're gonna beat it okay if you've listened to my past episodes on the charge on on due process and all those things hopefully when we read this thing you can put those things together and we can do that so I'm gonna do that it won't take long and then I'm gonna get into the past practice part that is gonna be long It's a lot of, it's not a lot of reading. (laughs) It's going to be, it's going to be reading, but it's not going to be as boring as the window of operation. And I know that that was boring. I get it. My buddies have been killing me on those window of operation dispatch of value cases. (laughs) I met up with them this week. We had an arbitration. It was canceled due to management, but we were all together and and one of my buddies, he's like, hey, man, listen to your window operation episode, the first one. I said, yeah. I said, how'd you like that? And He's like, well, it takes me four hours to get here. He said, I started listening to it when I left, and you are still reading when I got here. So <laughs> that's how my buddies do me, see. And so, hey, look, I know that was boring. I know it was. Anytime you're reading a lot, but there's a lot of information on that. Matter of fact, I took two naps while I was doing that thing. I just stopped and took a nap and came back and kept on and stopped a couple of times just to cry because I was so bored of myself reading. I just cried and then I kept on. So (laughs) I get it. And those those were painful, extremely painful. But a lot of information I have, you know that I had a handful, well, more than a handful of people send me contentions based off of those on the window of Operation Dispatch of A. So I do know that people are listening, and it helped them. And we cleaned up some things, and they're going to do fantastic. I know they are. So anyway, (laughs) this one's going to be long. It's not going to be as boring. I'm not going to fall asleep on this one. I took my good nap before I started. Let's go over a charge real quick. Y'all want to? We'll go over a charge real quick. You're going to beat this charge and then i'm going to get into the past practice okay here's the charge y'all gonna beat this for me i'm in trouble here i got put on emergency placement i got put on emergency placement and i need my shop stewards out there to get me out of this thing all right here's the charge now dated march 21st of 2022 that's when it was typed march 21st of 2022 Subject, Emergency Placement in an Off-Duty Status. This is written verification that you are placed in an off-duty, without pay, status effective March 17th of 2022. You were placed in this off-duty, non-pay status as per Article 16.7 of the Collective Bargaining Agreement. On Thursday, March 17th, 2022, you engaged in an aggressive, hostile behavior towards management. As per article 167, an employee may be immediately placed on an off-duty status by the employer but remain on the rolls where the allegation involves intoxication, use of drugs or alcohol, pilferage, or failure to observe safety rules and regulations, or in cases where retaining the employee on duty may result in damage to US Postal Service property, loss of mail or funds or where the employee may be injurious to self or others. You will remain on the non-duty status until further notice. You have the right to file a grievance under the grievance arbitration procedure set forth in Article 15 of the National Agreement within 14 days of your receipt of this notice. And it was signed and dated 323. So you're given this notice on me. I was put on emergency placement on the 17th, right? It was signed on the 21st. So that means they had five days to write this letter. March 20, March 21st was when it was written. And they're citing a date of March 17th. So they had five days, right? Here's the charge. On Thursday, March 17th of 2022, you engaged in an aggressive, hostile behavior towards management. Now, how are you going to beat that? How are you going to beat that? If you're looking at that, This is the charge. This is what we, we bring forward. This is what we defend ourselves with is the charge, right? It should tell me in detail what happened with, as arbitrator Robert said, with specificity. What happened that way I can defend myself against this charge. Here it is. On Thursday, March 17th of 2022, you engaged in an aggressive, hostile behavior towards management. Let me ask you this. When did it happen? March 17th. Did it happen all of March 17th? When did it happen? Was it on the workroom floor? Did I just come come into work? Was I on break? Was I checking my vehicle? I need to know these things to defend myself. So what time of day did it happen? Because I also need to see if it was immediate. Where did it happen? Where did this action happen? Where was I aggressive and hostile towards management? Was it at my case? Was it on the street? Did you come out and observe me and I see you and I I approached you? Was I clocking off? Was it at the supervisor's desk? I have no idea. You didn't tell me. Who was it towards? Hostile behavior towards management, towards all of management. Was I in a, a meeting? Was all of management in there and I just went berserk? I have no idea. It doesn't tell me. Was it the supervisor? Was it the postmaster? I have no idea. All you tell me is aggressive, hostile behavior towards management. What was the aggressive, hostile behavior? What did I do? Did I flip both of y'all a bird and tell y'all I was gonna kick the shit out of you? I don't know. Don't tell me. Don't tell me what I did. It just says aggressive, hostile behavior towards management. Did I cuss y'all out on the workroom floor? Did I approach one of you, get in your face? Did I put my finger in your face? Did I tell y'all to come on out, come on outside and get some of this? Did I say that? No idea. It doesn't tell me that. These are things that when we get a charge, we have to look at, especially a sixteen-seven. It has to be immediate, and there has to be an actual emergency. This doesn't tell me anything. On Thursday, March seventeenth, twenty twenty-two. So you had five days to write this charge, and you couldn't have told me anything more than. You engaged in an aggressive, hostile behavior towards management? That's all you could come up with in five days? You couldn't tell me on March 17th of 2022 while casing your route, I approached you and told you this and you told me to kiss my ass and go on somewhere? Put your finger in my face? You couldn't have at least told me that? Now I may get a statement later saying this is what happened. Well, that's not a charge. The statement's not a charge. This is the charge. This is what I defend myself against. As Arbitrator Menthol said, what? You can't properly grieve without the charge. Why does he say that? Because I don't know why you put me on emergency placement until I get the charge. That's what I defend myself as against the charge. It doesn't say I can't properly grieve until I get a statement. It says I can't properly grieve until I get the charge. That's what this is. So I can't properly grieve with you engaged in aggressive hostile behavior towards management. I don't know when the hell I did, when I did it, who I did it to, what was the behavior that that I exhibited on that day that required me to be put on emergency placement? What was the emergency situation? And when was it done? Because I'm going to put up some clock rings. If you say it was in the morning when you're checking your vehicle we put you on emergency placement and I pull a clock ring up and I wouldn't put on emergency placement until three in the afternoon. Then I know that it wasn't immediate. Y'all get what I'm saying? When you get that charge, beat it within a couple of minutes. And that's how you do it. We'll go over more and more of those as we get into uh, more episodes of the charge. That way, those of you who don't see many, we'll go over them. And that way, when you get one, you'll say, okay, we've already covered this. So there's your 167. When you get that, read it and answer those questions, okay? So hopefully that helped you right there. A little test for you. A little test based off of the things of my earlier episodes on 16, article 16 and so on. All right, past practice. Past practice is tough on us. It's tough on us. I told an individual I was doing one on past practice, and it's like, well, that's pretty self-explanatory. Article 5 is pretty self-explanatory. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you how self-explanatory it is. If you look up in our database, we have taken 707 past practice grievances to arbitration. 707. Out of those 707, 298 have been sustained. y'all hear that 298 have been sustained out of 707 348 have been denied 348 have been denied 298 have been sustained 348 have been denied that's how self-explanatory it is we're getting our asses handed to us and past practice grievances why is that why why is that happening what I'm going to try to do today is get ourselves better prepared to take a past practice grievance forward. There's a lot to it. There's a lot more than just the language that we're the reading out of Article 5. Okay, so I'm going to try to get us better prepared. I've taken numerous, numerous past practice grievances to arbitration, and we've been extremely successful. Let me knock, knock on wood right there. I, I'm a big on karma. So I don't ever want to, to toot my own horn on something because I know that I'll, I'll put a losing streak in a hurry on myself. So, But we've been successful in arbitration on past practice grievances. Uh, if you look at the losses, it, it, it's a wide range of things. I'm talking about wide range. Uh, we've dealt with no lunch, the food drive, how we appeal things to Formal-A, Uh, eating at our cases, earphones, leave, parking, fingering mail, a wide range of things we've taken to hearing and lost. Why is that? Why are we losing? What are we not doing right? Maybe we're doing everything right and we're just wrong. Okay? I'm going to try to help us out today. I'm going to try to help us out on past practice grievances, what we need to do, what arbitrators are looking for okay i've got a couple of b team decisions both of them out of nashville one out of my station very interesting and then another one that jb did dealing with uh, a certain topic i'll get into those i've got a few arbitration decisions uh, that i've done and another one that i didn't do but it's got good language but i've had a lot of questions about past practice and so that's why i wanted to do this one a lot of questions about it different things case in ADVO, case in DPS, and I don't judge nobody. I don't judge anybody. I don't don't know why you would want to do that, but if that's what you're wanting to grieve, I'm going to help you if I can. Look, fighters want to fight. That's me. Fighters want to fight. Fighters don't want to just train all the time. Fighters want to fight. Players want to play. We want to get in. We want to get on the action. So, you guys, you give me a problem. I'm going to try to help you with it. You give me a topic. I'm going to try to beat it. Because fighters want to fight at the end of the day. So, we'll give it a fight. Now, it may get squashed (laughs) when we take it up. But you want to put something together? Man, I'll help you put something together. You want to talk about Case and DPS and Advo? I don't know why you would. But, baby, I'm here for you. And and we'll put something together. So I'm going to talk about a lot of different things on past practice and see if we can't get ourselves a little bit better prepared for the case file and what arbitrators are looking for, okay? And I'm going to try to – I'll get Jeremy some templates. He can put them up on the webpage, the and that way you can get a template. It'll have all the language you need in there, and you can just – Copy and paste it if you want. It'll save you a lot of time, and I'm not against that. I, I love saving myself time. That's why I bug JB so much. Past practice. Here we go. Y'all ready? Article 5 Prohibition of Unilateral Action. Prohibition of Unilateral Actions. In Article 5. So, no stewards. We're talking about past practice. We're going to find that in Article 5. Okay? So, I've had some that have said, hey, this is my first day as a shop steward. Uh, I'm going to be listening. Appreciate what you do. I've had that all the way up to I'm an experienced advocate. Let's talk about some things. So I love that aspect of this, and I love talking to my people. So New Stewards, Article 5, okay? That's where we're going to find past practice, and it says it there at the bottom of page 5-1, past practice. Here we go. Past practice. The following explanation represents the National Party's general agreement on the subject of past practice. The explanation is not exhaustive and is intended to provide the local parties general guidance on the subject. The local parties must ensure that the facts surrounding a dispute in which past practice plays a part are surfaced and thoroughly developed so an informed decision can be made. Now let me read that again because this is where I usually get management and arbitration is that one sentence. The local parties must ensure that that the facts surrounding a dispute in which past practice plays a part are surfaced and thoroughly developed so an informed decision can be made. All right, so what does that tell you? When we sit down, and I'm gonna give you a great example of a case I did in Louisiana. When we sit down, we need to both make sure that it's thoroughly developed, the file, the arguments, the reasons for and against. All right, so that an informed decision can be made. Be made by whom? Be made by anybody that's looking at this thing. Formal A B team arbitrator. All right. Make sure that we remember that language, and advocates. You make sure you remember that language when we go forward. And I'm like I said, I'm gonna give you a good example. It goes on. Article five may also limit the employer's ability to take a unilateral action where a valid past practice exists. While most labor disputes can be resolved by application of the written language of the agreement, it has long been recognized that the resolution of some disputes require the examination of the past practice of the parties. I'm going to read that first sentence again. Article 5 may also limit the employer's ability to take a unilateral action where a valid past practice exists. One of the biggest things you'll see when we take a past practice grievance forward and lose is article three management's rights. When you look at a lot of the the losses that we have incurred in the database, arbitrators are going to hang on to article three management's rights to manage. And so that's the reason we have difficulty when we take past practice grievances forward is management's right to manage. We're telling an arbitrator to overrule in this specific situation Management's right to manage. Management will always say that they are charged with maintaining the efficiency of the operations entrusted to it. That's what they'll always say in past practice grievances. Hey, look, we're, we're we're the ones charged with maintaining the efficiency of the operations entrusted to us. And so this thing that they've been doing for 20 years is no longer efficient. Okay, the things that they're doing, and I'll give you some examples of that. It's no longer efficient to do things the way we've been doing things. That's the hurdle that we have to overcome when we're talking about a past practice grievance. So remember that when you're putting your case file together and when we meet with management, that Article Three is what they're going to use against us 100% of the time. We're the ones charged with maintaining the operations, not, not the union. They could care less. Defining past practice. In a paper given to the National Academy of Arbitrators, Arbitrator Mintenthal described the elements required to establish a valid past practice. And here's, here's our blueprint. When I was doing training at our regional training, and also when I was talking in my earlier episodes, when you're dealing with discipline and you're a new steward and you're like, God, where do I start? This thing's got two OIG reports. It's got 10 witness statements. It's got a police report. Where do I start? You always start with the blueprint. The just cause principles, that's where you start every form of discipline. Start there and then work your way out, okay? Management and the the union have given us a blueprint on how we should do things through the just cause principles. That's where you start. If you're a new shop student, it's like, where do I start on a past practice? They gave us a blueprint on page 5-2. On page 5-2, defining past practice. Here's our blueprint okay this is where we go new stewards when we're we're thinking is this a legitimate past practice carriers have come to me management has stopped them from doing whatever they're changing how we do things here is it legitimate here's your blueprint right here okay in a paper given to the national academy of arbitrators arbitrator mittenthal described the elements required to establish a valid past practice first there should be clarity and consistency Now that one's pretty easy. A course of conduct which is vague and ambiguous or which has been contradicted as often as it has been followed can hardly qualify as a practice. I've got some great examples. I'll tell you later on this, new stewards. But where those in the plant invariably respond to the same way to a particular set of conditions, their conduct may very well ripen into a practice. So clarity and consistency. Okay. One of the examples I'm going to give you, like I said, in my station, I've got a lot of tenure, a lot of seniority. We combine our lunch and our break. We take a 40-minute lunch. We've been doing it for 30 years. And management came in and said, hey, the contract is clear. They can't be together. Lunch and break can't be together. And so that was out of my station. So I filed the grievance on past practice. There, There can be no more consistency than something that's happened over 25 years even if the contract is clear and so that's what we're talking about clarity and consistency all right second there should be longevity and repetition again we have consistency in the first one we've been consistently doing this for this long through every manager through every supervisor through every postmaster it's been consistent. Here we're talking about there should be longevity and repetition. A period of time has to elapse during which a consistent pattern of behavior emerges. Hence, one or two isolated instances of certain conduct do not ordinarily establish a practice. Just how frequently and over how long a period something must be done before it can be characterized as a practice Is a matter of good judgment for which no formula can be devised. There should be longevity and repetition. A period of time has to elapse. So what does that tell you? Nobody knows. Nobody knows what that time is. It even states that. Is it two years, five years, ten years? Nobody knows. Is there wrong with taking a shot at it? Not really. Because if an arbitrator tells you it hasn't been going on long enough, and then you can get some more time behind that. Let's take another shot at it. But nobody knows what that time frame is. If it's a couple of years, I may take a shot at it, depending on what it is. In my case with my lunch, I have a carrier that's been there for 50 years. <laughs> He's been at this station for 35. And he wrote me a statement. I had over 20 statements from my carrier saying, "Hey, as long as I've been at this station, we've done it this way. 20, 30 years that that's longevity, that that's probably about as long as you'll ever see a past practice grievance go by. So longevity and repetition, repetition, we have to keep doing it. Like I said, if it's one or, once or twice, they allow you to, to to take your lunch and break together once or twice, you're not gonna win that. As being longevity and repetition, I've been doing this every day for the last twenty years. I've been extending my lunch. I've been my lunch has been forty minutes. Every day for 20 years I've been doing this. It's hard to beat that. That's longevity and repetition, all right? Third, there should be acceptability. The employees and supervisors alike must have knowledge of the particular conduct and must regard it as the correct and customary means of handling a situation. Such acceptability may frequently be implied from long acquiescence in a known course of conduct. Where this acquiescence does not exist, that is, where employees constantly protest a particular course of action through complaints and grievances, it is doubtful that any practice will be created. So if we're constantly having to fight management on this, they're constantly saying it's not something, and we're saying that it is, probably not going to be successful. We're probably not going to be successful on that. It has to be acceptability. In my case, on my lunch, I was able to show that I've had conversations with every postmaster, every new postmaster that's come in, and they've all agreed that we can do it. Every manager that's come in has agreed that we can do it. Every supervisor has acknowledged that we can do it. Every ride inspection, every $39.99 ride, all these things for all this time, going back years and years, it's been accepted. So that's what it's talking about, acceptability. Nobody's ever had an issue with it. They've known about it. They've not had an issue with it. So it's now accepted. It's an accepted past practice. Only until we had a new postmaster come in and try to change it was it no longer accepted. And we'll talk about that in a second. One must consider, too, the underlying circumstance which give a practice its true dimensions. A practice is no broader than the circumstances out of which it has arisen. Although its scope can always be enlarged in the day-to-day administration of the agreement. No meaningful description of a practice can be made without mention of these circumstances. For instance, a work assignment practice which develops on the afternoon and midnight shifts and which is responsive to the peculiar needs for night work cannot be automatically extended to the day shift. The point is that every practice must be carefully related to its origin and purpose. I'm going to read that first sentence again. One must consider, too, the underlying circumstance which gave a practice its true dimensions. In this situation with this lunch break, we only have one one street in our entire zone, in our entire zip that has a restaurant on it. So to get there and to get back your route, I was able to show that some carriers, it takes them 18 minutes to get there and back without even eating. We only had one street and it's directly in the middle of my zone. So one street that has restaurants on it. So everybody, if you're on the outside of the zone, you had to drive all the way into the street, eat, and then get all the way back. So if you're taking 18 minutes of drive time, that leaves me 12 minutes to order and eat. And so that's what we said there. That's what we used there, is that one must consider, too, the underlying circumstance, which give a practice its true dimensions. For all these years, they've acknowledged, hey, look, they got to drive too far to eat. Well, they can bring their lunch. But if I want to go eat, if I want to get out of the heat, if I want to go, it's midsummer and I want to go sit in a restaurant for, you know, some time to eat, uh, that's what I'm going to do. And so that's how we were able to get that language into that. Uh, those contentions was was through that. There's an underlying circumstance, is distance. Finally, the significance to be attributed to a practice may possibly be affected by whether or not it is supported by mutuality. You hear that? Finally, the significance to be attributed to a practice may possibly be affected by whether or not it's supported by mutuality. And I was able to show that in that grievance. Look, both parties have agreed this is how we're going to do things. I've had meetings with every postmaster and asked me, are y'all fine with that? Yeah, we're good with that. We mutually agreed to it. Some practices are the product either in their inception or in their application of a joint understanding others develop from choices made by the employer in the exercise of its managerial discretion without any intention of future commitment and that's where we lose a lot of our grievances is that language there some practices are the product either in their inception or in their application of a joint understanding others develop from choices made by the employer in the existence of its managerial discretion without any intention of a future commitment. Most of the grievances we lose on past practice deal with that right there. I read one where there was management was providing free parking at this building across the street. Free parking for their carriers. Well, at the time, I don't know whether management thought uh, that they would have that for, free, for the future, for forever, But the people who were leasing that to us, they yanked our lease. They said, you can't do it anymore. We're going to do something else with this building. So the post office lost that building, could no longer provide free parking in that building. So they just stopped. So the carriers, we filed a grievance and said, hey, look, it's been a past practice to provide free parking. And management used this against us without any intention of a future commitment. They're saying, hey, look, we're leasing that thing on a year-by-year basis. So there was no future commitment, only a year in advance could we commit to that. Now we got got uh, the lease yanked from us, and we could no longer provide it. And arbitrator agreed with them that there was no future commitment, that they were on a lease. So that's kind of what that's talking about there, if that makes sense. Functions of a past practice. In the same paper, Arbitrator Menthol notes that there are three distinct functions of a past practice. To implement contract language. Contract language may not be sufficiently specific to resolve all issues that arise. In such cases, the past practice of the parties provides evidence of how the provision at issue should be applied. For example, Article 15, Section 2, Step 3 of the 1978 National Agreement and successor agreements through the 2000 National Agreement require the parties to hold Step 3 meetings. The contract language, however, did not specify where the meetings were to be held. Arbitrator Menthol held that in the absence of any specific controlling contract language, the Postal Service did not violate the national agreement by insisting that Step 3 meetings be held at locations consistent with the past practice. Now, if you ever read that decision, I think that's APWU when they're talking about Step 1, Step 2, Step 3. And at step three, it doesn't really give a generalized description of where they're going to be held. It's kind of vague. And so the postal service has said, hey, they've always been held at these locations. And the union wanted to say, hey, look, we want them to now be held here. And the arbitrator said, look, without clear language, we're just going to go by the past practice. And the past practice is the postal service determined where those meetings are going to be held. All right. To clarify ambiguous language. Past practice is used to assess the intent of the parties when the contract language is ambiguous. That is, when a contract provision could plausibly interpret in one of the several different ways. A practice is used in such circumstances because it is an indicator of how the parties have mutually interpreted and applied the ambiguous language. For example, in a dispute concerning the meaning of an LMOU provision... Evidence showing how the provision has been applied in the past provides insight into how the parties interpreted the language. And i got a fantastic example of that, I'll tell you in a second. If a clear past practice has developed, it is generally found that the past practice has established the meaning of the disputed provision. And like I said, I've got a great example of that I'll, I'll show you in a second. To implement separate conditions of employment. Past practice can establish a separate and forcible condition of employment concerning issues where the contract is silent. This is referred to by a variety of terms, but the one most frequently used is the silent contract. For example, a past practice of providing the local union with a filing cabinet may become a binding past practice even though there are no contract or LMOU provisions concerning the issue. And that silent contract, we'll talk about that in some decisions here in a minute. Uh, That's very important, very critical that we understand that silent contract language, okay? Now here's management's responsibility. This is critical that we understand these things. The manner by which a past practice can be changed depends on its purpose and how it arose. Past practices that implement or clarify existing contract language are treated differently than those concerning the silent contract. Okay, so there's two different things. Past practices that implement or clarify existing contract language are treated differently than those concerning the silent contract. Changing past practices that implement or clarify contract language. If a binding past practice clarifies or implements a contract revision, it becomes, in effect, an unwritten part of that provision. Generally, it can only be changed by changing the underlying contract language or through bargaining. Again, I've got a good example on that. And all this, it'll, all this will make sense when I give you these examples, okay? Changing past practices that implement separate conditions of employment. If the Postal Service seeks to change or terminate a binding past practice, implementing conditions of employment concerning areas where the contract is silent, Article 5 prohibits it from doing so unilaterally without providing the union appropriate notice. Prior to making such a change unilaterally, the Postal Service must provide notice to the union and engage in good faith bargaining over the impact on the bargaining unit. If the parties are unable to agree, the union may grieve the change. So we're going to talk about this when it talks about the notice. Okay, because when I got a decision, we're going to talk about the notice says, if the Postal Service seeks to change or terminate a binding past practice, implementing conditions of employment concerning areas where the contract is silent, Article 5 prohibits it from doing so unilaterally without providing the union appropriate notice. Prior to making such a change unilaterally, the Postal Service must provide notice to the union and engage in good-faith bargaining. So we're going to have two different things I'm going to show you here in a second about good faith bargaining, what arbitrators think that means, okay? I've got two good sites for you about good faith bargaining. So you gotta, you got to provide me a notice. Hey, the past practice of, of doing lunch, 40-minute lunch, uh, we need to talk about that. I'm going put, putting you on notice that I'm attempting to change it. Uh, let's talk about it. Let's have some good faith bargaining. Let's sit down at the table. You tell me why we need to do it. And I'm going to tell you why I plan on changing it. That's what that's talking about. I have to be put on notice first off that you're going to do it. You just can't come up to and say, hey, Corey, you know how you're taking that 40 minute lunch? Yeah, you're not doing that anymore today. Okay. Starting today, we're not doing it any longer. All right. You, you didn't give me a notice and you didn't bargain with me in good faith to do away with this past practice. That's what it's talking about. But I got some examples on that. And when do you grieve a notice? When do you grieve a notice? And I have, I have opinions on that. But like I've always said, y'all talk to your people. Talk to your president. Talk to your formal A. Talk to your business agent. When you get a notice on the time clock, it says, effective 30 days from now, you will no longer be taking a 40-minute lunch. When do you grieve that? Do you grieve that 30 days from now or do you grieve it when you see that that notice? I don't know what y'all do, but I grieve it when I see the notice because you've already told me what you're going to do. You didn't tell me we're going to bargain in good faith. You said in 30 days, we're going to do it. It's already been settled in your mind. You've already determined when it was going to happen. You didn't bargain with me in good faith. It's a violation of that provision, right? A lot of people, when I talk to them, they're like, well, I'm not going to do it until they actually do it. I don't want to risk an arbitrator saying you're put on notice. You're put on notice on the 1st that it was going to be done away with on the 31st, and you didn't grieve it. So I'm going to grieve the notice. When you tell me 30 days from today, you will no longer be able to do something that you've been doing, I'm grieving that notice. I'm not going to give it a chance to be untimely. When they say, we told you 30 days ago we was going to do it. Now you grieve it 30 days later. I'm just not going to take that chance. That's a lot different than other things. There's always questions about when you grieve certain things, like a notice of proposed removal and then the decision letter. When do you grieve those things? Do you grieve the notice of proposed removal as the APWU? Remember that grievance we lost there, about the APWU, they agreed they had to, to grieve the notice of proposed removal, even though we were never part of that. So what do you grieve there? The notice of proposed removal or the decision letter? I'm not going to tell you that. (laughs) You check with your people on that. I ain't getting nobody in trouble. What about emergency placement? What about emergency placement? When do you grieve that? The day that they say, hey, you're on emergency placement, go home. Do you grieve it from that point? Or do you grieve it when you get the decision letter? You see, there's all types of things that you question when you grieve. I always, anytime you do I've I've seen that a lot people telling people you know you grieve it when they're on, when they are told they're on emergency placement. As soon as they're told that you grieve it And if that's what you do do that but I always go to 167 on the written notice where arbitrator Mittenthal says this he cannot effectively grieve unless he is formally made aware of the charge against him. The reason why management has invoked section 7. That tells me when I need to grieve that right there, when I get the charge. He is surely entitled to such notice within a reasonable period of time following the date of his displacement, which means those two things are separate. Those two things are separate when I'm put off the clock and then when I, when I get the notice are separate, right? When he says he surely is entitled to such notice when the reasonable period of time following the date of his displacement, which means they're not one and the same. He goes on, to deny him such notice is to deny him his right under the grievance procedure to mount a credible challenge against management's action. So the notice is what? That's the notice of charges. What I read to y'all earlier, that's the notice of charges. So why would I grieve you putting me off the clock? I don't know why you did it. I can't properly defend somebody without that charge notice, without the notice. I can't properly defend them because I don't know why in the hell you put me off the clock. I won't know that until I get the charge. That's what Menthol says. So with that in mind, when I get a notice on the time clock that you're going to do away with a past practice, in that circumstance, I'm going to grieve the notice. I'm not waiting until you do it because you already told me you're doing it. And I'll go over that here in a second in one of these cases. But when I read a letter, when, I, when management sends me a letter, puts it on the time clock, as of April 31st, you will no longer take a 40-minute lunch. I'm grieving that. Why would you grieve it before they do it? Because you already told me you've done it. You're required to bargain with me in good faith. You didn't do that because you already made up your mind you're going to do it. That's what the notice says. So I've, I grieve the notice. I grieve the letter. Okay. I want a rabbit trail right there, didn't I? Just clearing some things up. It goes on management changes in such silent contracts are generally not considered violations if the company changes the owners or bargaining unit, the nature of the business changes, or the practice is no longer efficient or economical. We're going to talk about that. The practice is no longer efficient or economical. I've got a great case, again, the same case in Louisiana where management did that. And remember that language when you talk about the practice is no longer efficient or economical. Remember that when it talks about in the past practice on page 5-1, I said, the local parties must ensure that the facts surrounding a dispute in which past practice plays a part are surfaced and thoroughly developed. Remember I read that earlier? Thoroughly developed so an informed decision can be made. Remember that language when you come to the table and management says that it's no longer efficient or economical. That's their burden. That's their burden to prove that this practice is no longer efficient or economical. And that's one of the main things you're going to be dealing with when management tries to do away with certain past practices. And we're going to talk about those in a second. When management tries to do away with certain past practices and they say that it's no longer efficient or economical, that's their burden, folks. They better prove that in the case file. They better prove that in the case file. And lastly, it says a change in local union leadership or the arrival of a new postmaster or supervisor is not in itself sufficient justification to change or terminate a binding past practice as noted in the previous paragraph. That's normally when you're going to get something. As a new postmaster comes in, they're gung-ho. They're wanting to stop everything. What are they doing out there at Bell Mead? Well, they got a formula? Go stop that. That's generally when things are going to happen is when you have a new postmaster that's full of piss and vinegar and they're going to come in, they're going to change the world. That's usually when that happens. And so use that language, okay? Let's go through a few sites and then I'll be done. But that's the language of Article 5, okay? I hope I didn't do that too fast. But that's the language of Article 5. Those are the things. That's our blueprint uh, of things that we need to do. I've got a site from... Some from Sherry Rose tomich and it's a loss. We lost this case, but you're talking about sticking DPS, sticking Advo again. If you bring something to me, I'm gonna try to help you beat it. Now, we may get crushed, but I'm gonna try to help you beat it. And so, in her decision, it's 20253, see 20253, and again, this is a loss, but she states this language, and it may help you. If you're thinking about, if you're thinking about filing a grievance on clear contract language uh, about sticking your DPS, or your ADVO. And it's on page six. And this is what she says. Nonetheless, where a conflict exists between the clear and unambiguous language of the contract. Okay. Let me read that again. Nonetheless, where a conflict exists between the clear and unambiguous language of the contract and a long-standing past practice, the arbitrator is required to follow the language of the contract. And here we go now. In order for a past practice to modify clear contract language, the party asserting that the contract language has been modified must show the assent of the other party and that the minds of the parties must be shown to have met on a definite modification. All right, so when you're talking about sticking DPS, sticking ADVO, again, I'm not here to judge nobody. But you bring me a question, damn it, I'm going to try to help you beat it. That's what I'm going to do. Fighters want to fight, baby. Get me in the ring. Again, in order for a past practice to modify clear contract language, the party asserting that the contract language has been modified, that'd be us, must show the assent of the other party and that the minds of the parties must be shown to have met on a definite modification. It goes on, as arbitrator George Bowles noted in his May 8, 1981 decision, this is against the USPS and APWU, even by the most liberal construction, past practice cannot modify clear contract language except, Do y'all hear that? I'm going to read it again. Even by the most liberal construction, past practice cannot modify clear contract language except, he's giving you an out there, so those of you who contact him about sticking your DPS, sticking your ADVO, he says contract language except, he's telling us, hey, we got us a little something here, by definite, certain, and intentional acts, a positive acceptance or endorsement by both parties. Can we do that? Certain and intentional acts a positive acceptance or endorsement by both parties. Can we do that? How can we do that if you're trying to say, I want to st- we've been sticking our DPS, we've been doing whatever. What about $39.99? Do we have 39 dollars where we can show that carriers have stuck their DPS and they're out on the street with no DPS? What about a JRAP, CRAP, wrap? Were we sticking DPS during those things? Has it now become an accepted practice that we do those things? Documentation to show that both parties have accepted this, even though there's clear contract language against it, even though there's clear contract language against what we're saying is a past practice. The arbitrators are giving us an out here when they say accept. What about a six-day count? Did you do it during a six-day count? Was management foolish enough to let you do it during a six-day count? How can we prove that both parties were aware of it and have accepted it over a period of time? What is the documentation that we'll require to support our position? That's what you're going to have to do. It's tough as hell, man. It's tough. But I'm telling you, you bring me something, I'm going to try to beat it for you. So that decision right there, that language, is how I would try to beat that. How long have you been sticking your DPS? 10 years? Have you been doing it through... 39.99s through J-Rap, My-Rap, C-Rap, D-Rap, Surround-Rap, through six-day counts. If we've been doing those things, it's going to be hard for management then to overcome that based off of that language. Okay? Now let's get into uh, some more decisions. And this is one I had years and years ago. It was 2013. And it was about a radio. And management had come in with the rural carriers. And they wanted to do away with the radio that the city carriers were playing on the workroom floor. This is out of Gadsden, Alabama. And so when we get into the hearing, management, uh, labor brings in the the business agent for the APWU. I think it was APW or rural carriers. I can't remember. But this decision probably tells it. But I think it's rural carriers. But anyway, they come in and they want to sit in on it. Yeah. It says, at the hearing, the National Rural Letter Carriers Association appeared and requested that the issue of turning off the radio be continued until it could be referred to a tripartite arbitration process, which would include the the rural carriers. Uh, And so she looked at me and she said, uh, you know, Mr. Walton, do you have an issue? And I said, well, obviously I've got an issue. We're not here for that. We're just here to see if management violated the agreement when they did away with the radio. That's what we're here for. I don't care if the rule carriers are in here or not, they ain't got nothing to do with it. When ma- the way the the means by which they did it is why we're here. The process by which they did it, if it violated the agreement or not. So I don't understand why the rule carriers would be in here. They have nothing to do with that. This is our grievance that requires a remedy. And so that was our, and she agreed. She told the rule care they couldn't be in there, so she kicked them out. This is the language that she uses, and it's going to help you with the notice. When management gives us a notice, and even when they attempt to bargain in good faith, because that's what management attempted to do here, they said, We're going to meet with you. We can meet with you to discuss this, to bargain in good faith. And so we talk with them. It was, the whole process was a sham. They weren't going to do anything. They just sat down and they're just, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. When we're talking to them, they couldn't have cared less. They were going to do away with this radio regardless of this meeting. So this would be a good site for you if you have that happen. If management gives you a notice, which is what they're required to do, right, that they're going to do away with a past practice, and they say, hey, we're going, to, we're going to meet with you such and such date, and we'll, we'll uh, go over this, notice give you an opportunity to explain yourself we'll bargain in good faith and then see where the where the you know what we come up with and so that's what happened here's what here's what was said at the hearing postmaster bibbs testified that the purpose of the meeting with the union was so that she could get his input and make an informed decision the provisions of section five of the JCAM are clear that management will not unilaterally change or terminate a past practice without first giving the union notice. So if that didn't happen, y'all y'all are going to more than likely win it based off of that fact alone if you weren't given a notice. But giving the union a notice and engaging in good faith bargaining over the impact to the bargaining unit. If that's not happening, put that language in there. Okay? Anytime that a past practice is trying to be done away with, all right? Getting input from the union so she can make an informed decision. Is not the same as an engaging in good faith bargaining as required by the JCAM. So that's what Arbitrator Bayhackel said. She said getting input from the union so she can make an informed decision is not the same as engaging in good faith bargaining as required by the JCAM. Bargaining involves a give and take between the parties. The testimony of the two union representatives that were present at October 12, 2012 meeting. Along with the testimony of Postmaster Bibbs, indicates that management was in fact making sure she got input from each of the unions before making her decision. This is laudable, but it does not rise to the level of engaging in good faith bargaining as required by the parties' agreement and set out in the JCAM. Even if management discussed her reasons for wanting to change the, in the past practices, as she alleged, there was no give-and-take that would indicate that the parties had engaged in good-faith bargaining. Based on the foregoing, it is my determination that management did not comply with the provisions of Section 5 of the j when it attempted to terminate the past practice of having a radio playing on the workroom floor. Therefore, the grievance is due to be sustained. So that's a good decision. If you get a notice, management says they want to bargain with you in good faith, and they go in there and they just check that off the list. Hey, we did it. We bargained with them. We got their input. We checked it off our list, right? That's a good site for you. That'll be up on my webpage from 8arbitration.com. All these sites will be on there, but it's C30984, 30984. And he has it where you can punch on them now and you can copy them. It'll pull them up for you so that you can copy that thing. I don't know how he does that stuff. Dudes a genius, but... Anytime you go on there now, he'll have it where you can punch on the C number and it'll pull that up. For those of y'all who, who don't have access to arbitration sites, uh, you can get on that webpage from aidarbitration.com. And Jeremy has all these C numbers on there. You can click it and pull it up for yourself and get those, those sites off of there, okay? Here's another one from Sherry Rose Talmadge. And this is one I was talking about when we was down in Louisiana. And what happened here was management, the union went off-site to do their union work. Uh, Stewards would go off-site to do grievance preparations, things like that. They wouldn't do it at the station. They did it off-site. So this new postmaster comes in. She's like, you're not going to do that anymore because it's no longer economical to do that. It's It's no longer economical or feasible to do that. You can do it here. We'll give you an office, which didn't lock. Uh, We'll give you a computer, which wasn't secured. We'll give you some filing cabinets, which had no key. Uh, So um, uh, they're saying, you're no longer going to go off site. You're going to do your grievances here at the station. So they grieved this. And I had just just finished a grievance I'm going to talk about in Clarksville on the same issue. And I used it as a site. And here's what she said about it. This is C-34614. 34614. And this is what uh, Arbitrator Talmud said. And this is another part that I was talking about. This is a few pages long, so uh, forgive me for reading. It's a few pages long. But here's what she says. Management may have a right to eliminate an otherwise binding past practice where the underlying basis for the practice has been changed. National Arbitrator Carlton Snow has held, it is logical to expect that the party asserting a change in underlying circumstances will provide evidence of the assertion. Remember that? Remember that language I was talking to you about earlier? Huh? It is logical to expect that the party asserting a change in underlying circumstances will provide evidence of the assertion. It should be shown that the past practice has become unsafe to persons or property, or that it is inefficient and uneconomical, or that there is a change in the nature of the business performed, or that there has been some technological change in the operation of the plant. It is also recognized that a change in the bargaining unit might also relate to a need for some change in past practice. In an arbitration proceeding, however, there must be more than mere speculation about such matters. And this is where we hammered their ass in here. More than mere speculation. Here's what she says. In this case, OIC Golden indicated in her letter that the reason she was changing the past practice of allowing union stewards to perform union duties off-premises while on the clock and requiring them to perform these duties at the post office was because of safety and accountability concerns. She also testified that having the steward perform union duties at the post office would be more efficient Although these are valid considerations, there was no substantiating evidence presented to indicate that permitting the union stewards to perform on-the-clock union duties off-premises led to an increase in safety or accountability issues. There are no reports or studies of any increase in safety issues or lack of accountability by the steward as a result of the existing past practice. OIC Golden acknowledged that she had not performed any studies that supported her contention that having the stewards perform union duties at the post office was more efficient. Thus, I find that there was no evidence to support a finding that the stewards' practice of performing union duties off-premises while on the clock had an impact on the safety or accountability concerns briefly mentioned in Golden's letter. And here's what I did to the OIC. She made all these claims, all these allegations. It's unsafe. There's nothing in the file from management to support anything, anything about what they were talking about. Not the first study. Remember when we talk about the local parties must ensure that the facts surrounding a dispute in which past practice plays a part are surfaced and thoroughly developed so an informed decision can be made. I asked her, I said, would you please, ma'am, just show the arbitrator the study you did or performed to show that this action was no longer safe. And let me tell you, this, this, this OIC was not having any part of me. She did not like me in the least bit. And she was very raucous, very confrontational. And so, uh, I asked her that. I said, just show the arbitrator any kind of study that you did to show that it's no longer safe. She didn't do a study. I said, that's fine. I said, can you just show the arbitrator any study that you did, any documentation that you have to support your position that is no longer economically feasible to continue this practice? Well, it's obvious that it's not. I said, it may be obvious that it's not. I said, but I didn't ask you what was obvious. I said, I asked you to show the arbitrator the documentation to support your contention that is no longer economically feasible. Didn't have any. I said, ma'am, have you ever been in a, in a past practice arbitration before? Well, no. I said, well, it's obvious. I said, do you understand what you have to do to support your position in a past practice grievance? No. I said, well, that's obvious. That's obvious. So in my closing, I just told the arbitrator that, and that's what the arbitrator is talking about. There's no evidence to support a finding that the steward's practice or performing union duties off-premises while on the clock had an impact on the safety or accountability. She says where she, OIC Golden acknowledged that she had not performed any studies that supported her contention that having the stewards perform union duties at the post office was more efficient. So I just grilled her on that. There's nothing in this file to support anything that you're talking about. So formal A's, informal A's, when management comes to you and says, it's obvious that it's no longer economical. They're driving 20 miles to the shops, you know, to the union hall. That's just not economical. That may well be. That may well be. But you've got to prove that through some kind of study. I need some kind of data, something that you've done showing that. That didn't happen. She goes on, I conclude that permitting stewards to perform union duties with approval on the clock while off-premises was an established past practice that had become binding at the local level. By unilaterally changing a mutually accepted benefit established by practice, the employer violated Article 5 of the National Agreement. Article 5 states the employer will not take any actions affecting wages, hours, and other terms and conditions of employment as defined in Section 8D of the National Labor Relations Act, which violate the terms of this agreement or are otherwise inconsistent with its obligation under law. She goes on, The steward's opportunity to perform union duties on the clock and off-premises constituted a condition of employment. As defined in Section 8D of the National Labor Relations Act, in a similar matter, Arbitrator August, and this is the one that I handed her, this is the site that I did out of Clarksville, held that management violated Article 5 when they attempted to unilaterally terminate the valid past practice of allowing union stewards on USPS-approved union time to travel to the union hall to complete their union duties. See also Arbitrator August citing to Arbitrator Barrett, reviewing a similar issue in which he found clear and convincing evidence that management did violate Article 5 of the party's agreement and applicable law in the manner by which they attempted to unilaterally remove the union from the space long allocated for their own purposes. The employer's actions violated the terms of the national agreement and were inconsistent with its obligations under law. Section 8D of the National Labor Relations Act requires the parties to bargain in good faith. The employer may not unilaterally change a mandatory subject of bargaining without providing the union with prior notice, and an opportunity to bargain in good faith to, to resolution or impasse. We talked about that in the Bayhackle decision. Arbitrator Mittenthal, as cited above, also discusses changing past practices that implement separate conditions of employment. And then he just goes over the past practice language. I'm not going to read that again. She goes on I did not find the management provide the union with prior notice and an opportunity to bargain in good faith. OIC Pro- Golden provided a notice to the union of her intent to terminate the practice, which had been in existence for over eight years. Nonetheless, she did not first engage in good faith bargaining before determining what changes, if any, could be made regarding this separate enforceable condition of employment. Article 5 of the national agreement places the responsibility upon management to provide notice to the union and to engage in good faith bargaining with local union representatives. Before making a final decision to terminate the practice, good faith bargaining requires a give and take between the parties. And that's exactly what Mate Bayhackle said. And then she goes on, she sustains that grievance. And I'm going to touch on Arbitrator August. I'm not going to read it because we're getting long. It's already an hour and a half. Badgummit. But this is C-34447. Three, four, 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 seven. And this is Arbitrator August. It's out of Clarksville, Tennessee. And I talked to you about the notice where management just provides a notice. And here's what they state. Here's the notice. When I was talking about when do you grieve, I always grieve the notice when they hand me the notice. Here's what it says. Dear Mr. Mackey, please accept this letter as advance notification of management's intent to discontinue what the union may consider a past practice of the union representative performing steward duties at the branch hall, Located on that street. Management allowing steward duties to be performed at the branch was an exercise in discretion. And there was management, no intention. They misspelled that. And there was management, no intention of future commitment. Remember what I read to you in that past in the Article 5 language about the future commitment? The parking garage. They're using that here. And there was management, no intention of future commitment. This practice will end 30 days from your receipt of this notification. It didn't say this practice may end. This practice could end. It says this practice will end 30 days from your receipt of this notification. I'm grieving that as soon as I get it. Because you didn't tell me you was going to bargain with me in good faith. You didn't say the practice may end after we negotiate. It says the practice will end 30 days from your receipt of this notification. Arbitrator August goes on on page five. The union noted that in this case number, Arbitrator Joanne Nixon reviewed the existence of a past practice and opined, In examining the aforementioned case, I reviewed the decision of the National Arbitrator Snow case in case number there, where Arbitrator Snow addressed the impact of past practice, stating, The largest hurdle to overcome is using a past practice analysis and is establishing the existence of the practice. When there is evidence the parties have mutually agreed that a practice existed for a period of time, even if it is unclear which contractual provision was thought to have governed, the practice must be deemed established. The point is that a collective bargaining agreement includes more than the written provisions in a printed document as the United States Supreme Court has recognized. Y'all hear that? The point is that a collective bargaining agreement includes more than the written provisions in a printed document as the United States Supreme Court has recognized. So if it's not in the agreement, that doesn't mean that it's not valid. That's what they're saying. Those become valid because he's saying that the point is that even collective bargaining agreements include more than the written provisions. A labor contract also included understanding and mutually accepted practices which have developed between the parties during their relationship. In the grievances submitted to the arbitrator in this particular case, it was the mutually accepted practice of the parties, at least prior to mid-1987, to make temporary T-6 vacancies available for opting by the senior most qualified employees. She states, As I stated in that decision, while Arbitrator Snow addressed past practice, he emphasized the fact that it must be well established. When there is evidence the parties had mutually agreed that a practice existed for a period of time, Even if it is unclear which contractual provision was thought to have governed, the practice must be deemed established. In this instant case, there is no doubt the past practice existed, and even management in its step B contentions conceded they made a unilateral change to the past practice. And then Arbitrator August continues, and I'm going to hurry up through this. The practice of allowing the union steward to travel to the union hall to process grievances in Clarksville can only be determined to be a valid past practice one which survived for at least 25 years, as stated by the local union branch president. In the same document presented to the National Academy of Arbitrators, Arbitrator Mittenfell reviewed the three functions of past practice. The past practice at issue in this case would have been deemed to implement separate conditions of employment since the national agreement is silent regarding where and at what location union stewards would perform their union duties. And then she goes on, some very good language about that. She talks about changing local union leadership, a new postmaster, because a new postmaster came in and did all this. But she talks about how they had to change uh, valid past practice. She mentions Arbitrator Barrett, which uh, Arbitrator Talmadge talked about. Those are very good sites for you that talk about past practices, how arbitrators feel about past practice, and what you must do to overcome a past practice if you're management. Those are very good sites. This has been an hour and a half. I'm going to go through two B-team decisions really quickly. And and I'm going to have these up. I'm going to tell Jerry to put these up. I don't know if I can redact things. One of them's really funny. It's my 40-minute lunch. But uh, one of them, is uh, JB did on a case here, where management came in and they said that the stewards will no longer be able to go to the union hall to do their union work. And we grieved that and we won. But this case file is very good, very good. Uh, I wrote a statement talking about when I was at the formal aid that we never had an issue with stewards coming up doing her union work. My past president wrote a statement. Uh, J.B. gets all the shop stewards to say that they've never had an issue. I think he even gets past presidents to come in and, and, and write statements. But he documented it very well. And then he's got... Uh, He's got a decision from Arbitrator August in this template, one that we did here in Nashville, uh, where management attempted to do away with the past practice of of granting leave over the amount talked about in the LMOU. Uh, It's in there. A very good past practice decision on that. But I'll get Jeremy to put this template up. It's a great template. B team and all. And that way you can see how... JB defeated that where they came in and said that uh, you're going to be doing your union time at the office. You're no longer going to be doing it at the union hall. Uh, We beat that. And then I've got this one on the 40 minute lunch. And this is a, this is a funny one you'll see in here. Remember when I talked about the LOC, the stationary events, when I talked about that in here, (laughs) and this is how this came about. The LOC comes into existence, and they immediately come after me, and and the emails are in there from upper management to my local station manager, who I love. Eric, his name is Eric Baxter. Probably shouldn't be saying all this, but he's the greatest manager I've ever had in in my time at the Postal Service, and I'll tell anybody that. Uh, we threw a big party for him when he left. We hated it. He was fantastic, but he gets an email from local operations center from LOC. So LOC, remember when I told you all that? This is how LOC works. They're in some office way down here and they're telling local management, hey, look, go talk to so-and-so about extending their lunch. And I said, don't ever answer questions like that. Here's the email string. This is where I got all that from. From local operations center to the postmaster. Well, at the time, it's from local operations center to the head of ops. Four LOC observations of Corey L. Walton, followed by a summary of the events found by pulling his data from the last month. eight twenty one sixteen. C. Walton has a thirty seven minute stationary event and goes one hour and forty minutes into penalty time. <laughs> then it's from ops to the postmaster. Tony, we have done a lot of work to provide the unit this information. Can you tell me what has been done with this employee? So they're telling him, hey, what have y'all done to Corey Walton? He's extending his lunch. And this is uh, the manager of ops sent this to the postmaster. Tony, we have done a lot of work to provide the unit this information. Can you tell me what has been done with this employee? So they're telling him, hey, do something with Corey Walton. He's just out there willy nillying out here. So the postmaster sends my station manager an email. Says, Eric, I didn't even know what action has been taken with this employee. This needs your immediate attention. The LOC has been monitoring this carry the last two weeks, and there is no indication of any action. I need your response on this. It will not be acceptable for the carriers to say he is taking breaks with lunch, because by now we should have had that discussion with the carrier. Respond back to me and carry. We will have to discuss this with the district area telecom and actions taken by the management team. So they're telling him, you need to discipline Corey Walton. Here's what Eric sends back. I spoke with Corey Walton this morning, and before I responded back, I was trying to verify what was stated to me. It was stated that a meeting was held a few years back with the postmaster, union president, uh, manager of Bellmead, and Mr. Walton concerning some issues that was occurring at the time. During the meeting, lunch times was came up, and Mr. the postmaster stated that due to the vicinity of their routes to rest- restaurants, In other public establishments, certain carriers could combine their lunch, 10-minute break together. When I became supervisor at Bellmead in 2013, this practice was honored. Like I stated earlier, I was waiting on clarification via text message before I responded back. This morning after the 705 Telecon, I had a stand-up talk with all my employees relaying the message that combining your lunch, 10-minute break is no longer prohibited if you are participating in this activity. I made it very clear they are to take their 10 breaks separate from their lunch and their lunch starts when they close the lid on the box last delivered to and they have 30 minutes to hit the next box. Mr. Walton is also one who delivers takeoffs to other carriers and they would usually relay those whenever he took lunch. I told the management team we will start getting the takeoffs to the carriers from here on to avoid this or they will have to come back and get it. Which I told him he's not doing that because you're not going to bring mail out to us. And so nobody knows this, but what I had Eric do, I went into his office and he's like, man, they are all over me for this. I said, issue me a letter of warning. He said, I'm not going to issue a letter of warning. I said, Eric, I'm telling you, if you want them to stop this shit, issue me a letter of warning and I'll beat it. And that way, next time they come after me, you can tell them, hey, look, I've issued them discipline and it didn't stick. I said, and I'm going to file a past practice grievance on this lunch and I'm going to win that too. So he issued me discipline off of this LOC, off this stationary event, and and I beat that. If y'all go back and listen to my stationary event episode, I tell you how to beat it. That's exactly how I beat it. And and if you get these contentions, you'll have the pictures in there of everything. I'm not in any of them, but it's saying the LOC is saying this is where he took the lunch. I was like, where am I? I'm not in it. But anyway, I'm getting off track. But anyway. Uh, he issued me discipline off of that and I beat that, but then I filed a past practice grievance Off of that all of that language is in here I got all kind of statements uh, 20 some odd statements The file contains 20 statements from letter carriers employed at the station As some have been there as long as 47 years so when they did it, I just went to all my tenured carriers and I said, hey, give me a statement saying that you've been doing this for all this time. And so it'll give you the contract language that I use, but I'm going to have him put that up, okay? Those are, those are two very good templates that you can use. I don't care if they're redacted or not. Uh, it's got great language for you in there, but it'll tell you how to get your contention together to beat a past practice grievance, Okay. Uh, or how to win a past practice grievance, how to beat management's position. So there's your past practice. I was going to read those B-team decisions. I'm not doing that. It's been an hour and 40 minutes. It's way too long. But there's your past practice language. That's what we're looking for, Uh, the different things we're going to show, what management is going to have to do. Uh, Gave you some good sites from arbitrators that talk about where they're going to put their weight on it. How you win a past practice grievance. There you have it. How about that one? Hey, but it wasn't near as boring as the window of operation dispatch of value, right? Wasn't nearly as boring. I fell asleep in that one. I didn't fall asleep in this one. (laughs) But hey, look on that from 8 Arbitration. We're going to have those templates up for you on this episode. That way you can get them and you can do your own template based off of those if you want. Uh, they're very good templates, a lot of good language, a lot of good contract language in there. Those sites will be up there. You can pull those, get language off of those. Next week, JB's going to be in here to do holiday scheduling. I promise you. He went out of town this weekend. He was going to do it today. So I hurried up and got information ready for this past practice grievance. I think I covered everything pretty good. But again, thank you to Lindsay Breezy, badass Breezy. For the Facebook page, I'll get on there, talk to her. And uh, got any questions, leave them for me. You Got any topics? I got a lot of topics coming up. I've got a string of topics, man. I'm going to get to them eventually, I promise. But it's getting bigger and bigger. But I wanted to do this because a lot of people reached out about past practice. A lot of people reached out about holiday scheduling. Going to have JB do that next week. Again, thank you to Jeremy for the, for the uh, website from aidarbitration.com. Get on there and look at it. I hope this, issue, this episode has helped you. It's a long one, but we've covered a lot. We've dealt with a lot, okay? Management's requirements about doing away with a valid past practice and what we need to do to, show, to support it. Past practice grievances are always statement-driven. Statement-driven. Get as many statements as you can from whoever you can that's relevant, okay? Past presidents, past stewards, past carriers, Statement driven, all right. So, there you have it your past practice episode, right there, baby. An hour and 45 minutes of it. Enjoy that. (laughs) Y'all take care of yourself, man. We're having a ball with this thing. I love talking to everybody, it's been really fun, man. Really fun getting to know a lot of y'all, talking to y'all about questions, going over discipline and whatnot. But uh, we've had a dadgum ball, man. Hopefully, it'll keep on going. As soon as I see people ain't listening, I told y'all end this thing. And I'll go do something else. But uh, hopefully it's helping y'all. So y'all take care of yourself. Have a fantastic next week. And we'll talk to you next Sunday with Mr. Microphone himself, Mr. Jason Leith. I'll talk to y'all then, all right? Bye-bye.